Welcome into another episode of the Testudo Times Podcast with your host Sam Ostry alongside Ben Dixon here, here in person for an in-person podcast face-to-face, first time all year, usually it's over Zoom. Ben, it's good to see you, how are you? Good to see you too, Sam. Um, surprising that it is our first in-person one given that's what we did the first two years we did this together, but, uh, and you know, we only live two minutes away, but yeah, <laughs> it uh, works out and ready to roll here. Yeah, the beauty of Zoom. But all right, we have a lot to get to today. Um, First, we're going to start with a full breakdown of Maryland football. Uh, obviously, everyone knows by now who's listening to this, Maryland football was absolutely embarrassed this past Saturday in State College against Penn State. They lost 30-0. to The last time they, they put up zero points on the scoreboard was, everyone knows what I'm about to say, it was 59-0 to against Penn State in um, College Park in 2019. They put up zero points. There's not a single positive thing you can take away from this for Maryland from this game. Penn State dominated them um, offensively, defensively, special teams in the run game, in the pass game. They were the more physical team, more prepared team. Um, they wanted it. They wanted it more. You can't call it a rivalry like we talked about last week because Penn State has just owned Maryland for the most part. Um, so, so now, first, first, let me just let me just ask you, Ben. What were your impressions of the? I mean, I, I know the answer, but what were your impressions of the game? Yeah, I don't want to hear anyone call this a rivalry ever again until Maryland competes, let, let alone wins a game here, because Penn State just owns Maryland. James Franklin owns Maryland. That's just the simple truth of what it is right now. Um, I think the number one impression for me has to be, again, a term I used last week, offensive ineptitude for Maryland. We're, we'll get into the play calling and what we think of Talia's play and all that, but Talia only going 11-22 for just 74 yards, took seven sacks. The offensive line was atrocious, but I think some of that was on him as well holding the ball too long, not making quick enough decisions. Um, Roman Hemby was the leading uh, offensive player with 68 yards on 13 attempts, actually averaged more than five yards per carry, so not a terrible game from him. But I think it also goes back to this receiver group, which came into the country, or came into the season, excuse me. People thought they were going to be one of the best in the country, and they have done nothing to help this team win ball games, in my opinion. Yeah, well, we sat here last week on these airwaves and said pretty much the exact same thing, um, that Maryland got embarrassed. But then we did not think it would be completely replicated. I mean, I predicted a blowout. Um, Penn State was going to blow Maryland out. But I did not predict zero points. I did not predict a team that Maryland looked like way worse than they actually are. You would think they have zero talent, um, zero NFL prospects, uh, like zero accountability, anything based on what we saw against Penn State. That That's not the case with this team. It's just not. But the last two weeks, they've been embarrassed against Wisconsin, against Penn State, against Big Ten uh, perennial contenders, you can say. They, they just looked like they didn't even belong in the same conference or, or conversation as, as these teams. It's, I mean, that's the reality of the situation. I, I had this conversation uh, with, with a bunch of Maryland people and Maryland fans that I know outside of our uh, Testudo Times community. The Michigan game on the, the fourth week of the season where Maryland only lost by a touchdown and competed for pretty much the whole game toe-to-toe with the reigning Big Ten champions was the biggest mirage ever. It was an anomaly, 100%. A, a complete yeah. anomaly. This team, I mean, it's just that game probably completely changed the perception of the program. Uh, you know, we saw Damon Evans celebrating after the game that, that Maryland had a close game with the reigning Big Ten champions, and we kind of thought the same thing, that that was definitely a step in the right direction, and maybe it was going to be an indicator for this team to be different than yeah. years past, and, and but, it, it just hasn't. And it was, But it was fair for us to say at the time, because this team is better than what they've shown the last few weeks. Um you know, you really look at like last season compared to this season. It's it's ending up being a very similar uh, 
trajectory, I guess. The only difference is Michigan State. And last yeah. year, Maryland lost to Michigan State. But this year, Maryland simply got lucky by playing a horrible Michigan State team, which will be one of their worst years ever. Um, and it won't be that for the future. And Maryland just got lucky in the, with their schedule. Other than that, this team is going to have the exact same six wins. Yes, they competed more against Michigan in a way they, they hadn't. But other than that, they've been dominated by the other the other contenders in the Big Ten. They beat the Northwesterns, the Indianas, the teams they're supposed to beat. But I just keep going back to that Purdue loss, where it's like that is such a winnable game. Con- they No excuse. I've said it on every single podcast, and I will continue to say it every time I talk about the 2022 Maryland football team. You had three, your defense forced three consecutive turnovers in the third quarter of that game, and you you could not score a single point off of that. That is, that that's that's horrible, and it really, when that was the change, that was the, when the tide changed for me. My outlook on this team, um, the expectation that I thought this team after Michigan could really upset people. And people were talking about nine-win team. And and now this team will likely be, we don't even know if they'll get to seven wins, but will likely be a seven-win team. And it's just, it's really just surprising that it's not even just, no one expected them to beat Penn State. It's that they couldn't compete. They looked like they didn't even belong on the same field as them. Yeah, it's really, it's gotten back to the same story we've discussed every year. We didn't think it would. You're completely right about that Purdue game. I don't care that they might win the Big Ten West, and there's four teams tied at first in that division. They're all four and three in the conference. Yeah. That that or that West division is awful, and that Purdue game is going to haunt Maryland fans and the program, I think, for a long, long time because that's the difference. Look, even if they're not competitive in these games, which they haven't been, and, and yes, the gap is still there between Maryland and the Ohio States and the, the Michigans and the Penn States of the Big Ten, if you win that Purdue game and you assume you beat Rutgers, you're looking at an eight-win season, and that's just a completely, completely, completely different perception of this team and, and this program. And right now, even if they do beat Rutgers, which I guess you, they're still going to be pretty sizable favorites for that game, but you never know at this point coming off what yeah. we expect to be a three-game losing streak. Even if you finish 7-5, and five, there's nothing to really feel good about from this last month of the season as Maryland just continues to fall flat against these programs that have better pedigree, these programs that are undeniably better than them at this point, even when you think Maryland can compete after that Michigan game earlier in the season, there's just still such a, a really wide gap, and Maryland's falling flat over and over and over and, again. And after that Penn State game, um, head coach Mike Loxley, he took accountability, and he said, this is on me. Like I need to, to look at my entire program, including myself, in the mirror and say that, you know, there need to be some serious adjustments um, and, and changes moving forward in terms of personnel, um, staff, how they prepare, practice plan, everything, and say, I need to get my team to compete um, in November because that's something they haven't been able to do when that schedule gets tougher as the season wears on um, to get to those eight-win marks where, where this team is talented enough to be an eight-win team. Um, but the other thing that Loxley, Loxley told us yesterday in the press conference is he said he had a team meeting with his team, and he kind of opened the floor for an open forum discussion for all players and asked them, like, where are we? Simple question, where are we as a team, as a program? And he wanted to hear from his players, and he said a bunch spoke up. He was encouraged by it. Um, Dante Trader Jr. said he talked about how it's a soul-searching moment uh, for Maryland football, and they really need to hold each other and hold themselves accountable. So now I'm going to ask Ben you this question, and then I'll answer it as well. Where The same question, where are we? But from our perspective, where do we think Maryland football is from a broad point of view at this point? It's a packed question, and I think you have to appreciate the little bit of accountability that Loxley did take after that Penn State game and with this players-only meeting. But 
are we going to see the answer? And, and I'm really, really not confident that we will this year, next year, whatever it is, because this team is going to be bet. This is the best Maryland team they're going to have. I, I can't imagine next year's team being on par or better um, than, th- than the team we have this fall. So where are we, quote-unquote, as, as a Maryland football program? Where's the program right now? I, I think the start could be indicative of the schedule, could be indicative of maybe the team's a little bit better. But I think where's the program? I think it's in the same exact place it was last year. And I think last year was a step forward, making a bowl game, winning a bowl game. And yes, that was really you know a feel-good moment for this program, feel-good moment for the fans. But now this team is talented. It's more talented than last year's. You're confident with a great wide receiver room that has not reached the production that we expected. You're confident with Talia Tagovailoa, a star quarterback, who has not reached the production that we've expected this year and, and you know setting the standard there. The offensive line was supposed to be really, really good this year. Haven't seen it these past few games, um, whether it be some injuries or mixing and matching. But I think the question of where are we kind of goes back to these, you know, maybe a little bit ahead, given that if you go seven wins instead of six from last year, you're technically better record-wise, but I I think in terms of just a subjective standpoint of where this program stands in the Big Ten, it's the same until proven otherwise. Yeah, it, it is a tough question. Um, you know, last year it was clear that this program and this team under the direction of Mike Loxley took a step forward. They, they no doubt took a step forward. They were yes. horrible. They were in the absolute basement, bottom feeders of the Big Ten, and they took a step forward and made a bowl game and got to six and six and said and they couldn't compete with the best of the conference, but they showed that they could beat the the the, the lower end teams in the conference. So they showed they were a middle pack team. That's relevancy and that's a step forward for a program that really had been irrelevant and controversial um, when Loxley took it over. Um, so so last year they took a step forward. Now you fast forward to this year, and I completely agree. They took a step sideways. They did not take a step forward at all. And a lot of people expected this team, given the experience. Let me remind you that there was 15 players on both sides of the ball who returned uh, to, to, to the team. Star players. St- starters. Starters. Yeah. Yeah, starters. Um, and that was the most in the Big Ten, by far. So, like, that's why there was the expectation. There was talent. You look at the wide receiver room, look at the quarterback, you look at the offensive line play, the experience. Um, some of those safeties that we didn't even know were going to have great seasons, like uh, Dante Trader, Trader Jr. or Bo Braid or some, some of those type of guys um, who, have re- who have really been phenomenal for Maryland, one of the few bright spots this season. Um, but we didn't think, like, we, we didn't know that was going to happen coming into this year, but we did know that they were going to be more experienced and more talented than last year. So you expect at least a small step forward. And what that looked like for us from the outside was you have to show that you can close the gap between you and the best in the conference because you have the talent where, where you should be competing with these teams. But like I said, they've taken a step sideways. They have not shown that at all. Like we talked about, that Michigan game was an anomaly in college football. Michigan had the worst conference schedule our worst non-conference schedule coming in. They played nobody. They had somewhat competition with Maryland. Mm-hmm. And Maryland made too many mistakes, even though they could have won that game late. Uh, they obviously gave it up in the fourth quarter. But the point is that this this was a program that should have taken a step forward this year, and they simply did. Did not at all. It's frustrating. You mentioned those groups among those starters returning star players. Guys like Rakim Jarrett, Dante Demas haven't lived up to the billing. And... You know, some of the highlights of this defense, or excuse me, this team in general, have been groups that we didn't expect. Bo Brid and Dante Trader, like you mentioned, guys that were complete uncertainties and have been two of the best players on the defense. I'd make the argument that Bo Brid's been the best player on the defense all season long. You look at the offensive side of the ball, the wide receivers, you know, 
not the best group on the offense. Roman Hemby has probably been the best skilled player on the offense mm-hmm. this season production-wise, and no one expected much out of him. So if you told me before the season that those three guys would be really impactful piece, impactful pieces on this offense to go along with guys like C.J. Dupree and Corey Deitches, six new players, or not new players, six players who are making their impact and, and making their impact felt at a major level for the first time in college football, blended with what we expected of this wide receiver room and Talia and the offensive line and, and improved front seven. It just hasn't come to fruition. It, it's really frustrating. I think a step sideways is probably the best way to put it. And I think with these two games, there's really not going to be much to take away from our perceptions on this season and whether or not it was a successful season because they're not going to beat Ohio State and even if they beat Rutgers no one's going to go around celebrating that either and I asked Loxley yesterday what would you consider a successful season kind of dodged the question really talked about this one game at a time mentality but I think it is something that you know the media and fans deserve to know um, because what is the standard for success Loxley talks about the standard he talks about the next step which you have to appreciate setting these lofty goals and, and kind of setting yourself as a program moving forward but what exactly is that? We don't yeah, know. Whether anyone in the building will say it or not publicly, um, this has been a disappointing season, like yep. without a doubt. They've been healthy. Like they, they haven't had any serious season-ending injuries. Um, Talia didn't play one game. They It was luckily against the worst team they played all year or in conference um, in Northwestern, so it wasn't too much of a problem. Ruben Hippolyte was out for some periods of time. Jason Borham yep. missed a game. But, and Dante Dimas obviously has not been himself in 100%, and who knows if he ever will be. But they haven't had any serious injuries. This team has been intact. There's there's not a lot of excuses you can point to. Like there there isn't a reason that, that that you can pinpoint and be like, this is why this team hasn't lived up to expectation. They're exactly where they were last year. Like you said, they beat the teams they're supposed to beat because they're a middle of the pack Big Ten team. But the gap is way closer between them and the bottom of the conference than it is between them and the top of the conference because that's yep. a huge gap as we're seeing against Penn State and um against. Wisconsin even, who, who's not some... Wisconsin. This is a down year for Wisconsin, too. Obviously, they fired their coach, have an interim coach, but Wisconsin bullied them, too. And I'm sure we all expect Ohio State to bully them this weekend um, as well. So so overall, it's just been a disappointing year in terms of the expectation that they set. And, and the stand, it's impressive. Here, here's where I'll, I'll look at it from a positive yep. perspective. The standard has become a bowl game or better, which is an improvement. From when Loxley took over. So he deserves credit for that. And that's the culture is built. That's He's a better recruiter than, than what they had mm-hmm. previously. Um, so he deserves credit for that. 100%. But now it's getting your program to the next step. And he's we keep saying the word next step. This, this, aren't, this isn't our language. He's right. been saying next step, next step, next step. And what that looks like for us is the close the gap between you and the top of the conference. And that gap is as wide as ever. Yeah, and I think that's the point that resonates from this whole conversation. The gap is still wide. That's the overwhelming conclusion. It's unfortunate for Maryland, who probably thought the gap was a little closer this year, especially after that Michigan game. But I used the word mirage before, and I think that's kind of anomaly. Those two words kind of describe you know what that performance means in the grand scheme of things because they have completely flopped. To not score a point at Penn State, we don't even have to recap that game, but to, to not just a, a grand talk of the – the state of Maryland football to completely fall flat in two of the biggest games and you know since joining the Big Ten it, it really is disappointing and like you said we don't use this language but there's got to be some accountability taken at some point um, in terms of you know what that language means yeah. what is what is you know the end goal for this program there's 
I mean, yeah, we're not going to recap that game because there's nothing to recap. Yeah. All it is is Penn State at 249 yards rushing, Maryland at 60 yards rushing, Talia threw for under 100 yards for the second straight game. That's all the recap yep. you need. Um, if you didn't watch the game, because as most most people listening right now, probably turned it off in the third quarter, yeah. as you should have. We would have, too, if we didn't have to watch the whole game. Um, but real quick point before we go to a little segment here. The, the, you talk about the future of this program, and, you know, it really is um, – the future of this program, and I mean immediate future, as in terms of next year, it really is a question mark because Major. you know it's this team is not going to be as talented as next year. And we'll talk about the trenches, and we will talk about the offensive line play, and, and how that's uh, they're going to kind of have to build there moving forward. But um, the they're losing a bunch of starters on the offensive line. They're going to lose their position, a lot of their position players. Yes, they they discovered Roman Hemby, who should be a key piece for them moving forward. They have these safeties. Um, that, that, that were a big positive takeaway from this year. Talia should be back, but we don't know exactly. But moving forward, this isn't going to be as talented of his team no. next year. Um, and it's not a great recruiting class coming in in terms of what it's been the last few years. So this was the year to take that step. Yeah. No one expects it to happen this year, next year. And it could, but nobody expects it. But this was the year people finally expected it because of the experience and because of the talent. And that's why I think it's so disappointing for so many fans right now. Yeah, and we'll get into you know this whole future conversation in the off season and maybe after the regular season ends. But you're right; they're they're going to lose the offensive line. They're going to lose a large chunk of your receiving room. Talia may be back. It's just it's disappointing because this was the year. Like if not now, when? So. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna go to a little segment here. Um, you know, obviously the reaction from Maryland fans right now is really negative. It's really pessimistic. Not a lot of optimism. Um, even though Maryland will be playing in a bowl game, they will probably increase the win total from last year by one game. At but least, so, yep. yeah. But they oh, we'll see. It. We'll see if they win the bowl game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I meant regular season yes, win total. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but anyway, we're gonna. I'm gonna give a few takes, and me and Ben are both going to. I mean, we know where the Maryland fan base lies on these, but we're each gonna give a pessimistic and optimistic outlook on on each of these takes. So here's the first one. It's hard to give an optimistic outlook on this one, yes. but we'll try. Uh, Dan Eno's play calling has hurt Maryland more than it has helped. Yeah, it has. Um, I think that's a pretty simple answer there, but it's definitely a statement worth you know, dissecting. I think it's not all in the play calling. I think part of it is, is from the positive standpoint here. It's up to the players to perform to their billing, and Talia hasn't done that the past two weeks. He's thrown for less than 200 yards combined in the last two games, which is pathetic. The wide receivers have perform nowhere near to their you know mark as as we've been saying all season long and part of that is is getting separation and allowing Talia when he's struggling to maybe force some throws with and plays can be made as wide receiver that hasn't happened the offensive line mixing and matching the past couple weeks um has really taken a step back against Wisconsin and Penn State seven sacks against Penn State is pathetic so yeah, that's probably the the positive outlook in terms of saying yes the play calling hasn't hurt Maryland as much as people think but to say it has, and I do think it has, because you it's been a problem all year. Yeah. Some of these tight end screens to, to CJ Dupree on, on third and short or third and long, and you're like, what's going on? Why are we not getting the ball in Kim Jarrett's hands more? You know, he's getting more targets now and, and this past month or so. But there were times where him, Copeland, weren't getting the ball. Um, Ty Felton was getting more receptions than some of these guys, good receiver, but, you know, wasn't part of that uh, group coming into the year. So, I don't know. I, I, I think 
look, we're not going to run through film and dissect, yes, this play was horrible, it, it killed the game, but I think from a general standpoint, the lack of creativity has been appalling these past few weeks. When you need a spark against Wisconsin or Penn State, you can break out a trick play, you can break out some creativity. I think the one play I looked to, I think, earlier in the game, early in the year, excuse me, one of the home games, can't exactly remember which one, but I think the most creative play by far of Enos's Maryland career. Remember that little shovel pass yeah. to Leah had to Dutchess and, like and he powered through for the yeah, first. Yeah. It's like, where is that for the whole year? Yeah. We, the creativity is, has just lacked. So I think the statement is true. I think, you know, play devil advocates for the first part of that. But, um, yeah, I think I think the lack of creativity is the biggest problem with the play calling this year, and it has hurt Maryland, and the fans have a right to be frustrated with it. Yeah, Dan, um, fans are really pissed at Danny Nose. I mean, you can look at, log on any Twitter, log on any message board. Everyone knows that fans are very much not happy with Danny Nose and, and have been calling for his job for, for some time. And, and maybe after I don't think it'll happen before the year, but before the season's over, but maybe after the year he will be on his way out. We will see. But I, I did ask Loxley about the play calling. I didn't mention, you know, specifically, but obviously he's the one calling the yep. plays. And I asked him about the offensive play calling. He said he doesn't really have a problem um, with it. It's, it's you know, you can call a great play. Every play is designed to work, but if it's not executed properly, it's going to look like it's a bad call, which which is fair to a degree because um, his players aren't producing. Like, he, he, no. he doesn't have, like, weapons or playmakers he can get the ball to. Rakim Jared, I still think, is a very talented player, but he's had a down year by his standards. Obviously, Dante Demas and Jacob Copeland, who maybe regrets transferring here because he hasn't maybe. done anything um, this season, or, or virtually nothing this season. Yeah, that um, Charlotte game. We'll, yeah. we'll always remember that. No, nothing in the conference play. Um, so, like, maybe he doesn't have playmakers where he trusts. Maybe... Like, Talia hasn't been as good and accurate as he was earlier in the year. So maybe that's part of it. If the offensive line isn't doing a good job blocking, you know, it's hard to, to call creative run plays where you can get some, some runs out of the edge if he doesn't trust his guys, his offensive line to block. Um, so I think that's part of it. But I do agree with the sentiment that his, his play calling is, has been not creative in the slightest. Um, a lot of those screen passes you talk to, a lot of just runs up the middle. And if the offensive line isn't working, or in play or isn't playing to its standard maybe try to mix it up a little bit and get more creative runs than just up the middle and it really looks like he doesn't even trust Talia because yeah because look you which is like, scary by the way yeah like you have a very talented quarterback the may probably the best quarterback by the by the statistics in Maryland history so he, he never lets him take a shot he never lets him take a shot down the field. And granted, his deep ball hasn't been phenomenal when, we, when we've seen it this year. But at least put the pressure over the head of the defense. Yeah. Like, let him take shots down the field. Let Talia uh, get creative. And maybe that's partly with his knee because you don't want Talia running as much as you did earlier in the year because he's, he had this scary um, knee injury that, that made him miss a game and he's still wearing a brace because of it. So it is fair to point to Daniels' play calling and being like, like this, this isn't creative. This is obvious. Obviously, the defense sees it on film week in and week out, and you know what's coming. And so there, he, there is some accountability, accountability um, on his part as well that needs to be taken. Yeah, I think the deep shots is a very valid point you make there because Sam in the press box the first few games of the year, I think we've come accustomed to it now. But we're like, why the heck are they not taking more deep shots with this receiver room? The middle of the field looks wide open some of these times, and and he hasn't done it. So I, I think. It's been very, you know, by the book what we've seen and would have liked to see some some more creativity throughout the year. Maybe I think this would be the week to break out some trick plays and some creativity really, against. You have to. You literally have nothing, to against Ohio State if you have any chance and you have nothing, nothing to lose. To lose yeah. So I think we will see it, but I mean, at this point, it's just it's too little, Dan, too late. Dan, you know, is likely um, 
Maybe, maybe the fan base is overreacting, overreacting and doesn't have a good sense of what's going on, but I do think Danny Nose is likely calling plays for his job these next few games. I would I'd, I'd I probably think, agree. I, I don't think there's any doubt that there will be discussions after the year of whether he's the guy to be calling plays for Talia's presumably last year, next year maybe. But let's get to the next point, um, and we'll give uh, pessimistic an optimistic outlook on it. Um, again, one, it's hard to give an optimistic outlook, but Maryland is doing enough to compete in the trenches, both offensively and defensively, in the Big Ten. Another packed one here. Um, I, I will start with the optimi- optimistic version. Um, let's look offensively at the starters the past few games. Uh, Mason Lunsford, who had some problems with penalties and, and such this year, but he's a really big piece at, at left guard all year. Been injured in concussion protocol. So Maryland has had you know, two different starting offensive lines these past three weeks, but you look at it against Northwestern, Colton Deary steps in at center, and he, he plays center against Wisconsin, too. He had some major issues snapping the ball, which, which was a major, major problem, and, and blocking as well. And then against Penn State, he was replaced with Eric Harris at center, which obviously didn't go much better, with the, given the fact that Maryland given up seven sacks, uh, partially Talia's fault, obviously the offensive line's fault as well. So I think the optimistic outlook there is that you have been mixing and matching among the offensive line. I guess we could start with the offensive line and then go with the defense Um mixing and matching with different starters, and that could be part of the reason why the offensive line has not done enough. But I think in general, I mean, we thought they did enough in Michigan, no? Yeah, no, they, I thought they were phenomenal. However, however, and they were phenomenal throughout the entire part of the, the beginning of the year. Yeah. Even, well, offensive line, we can say, because the defensive line was yes, horrible against yes, Michigan yes. too, but continue. <laughs> I think, I do think, however, the offensive line has taken a step back regardless this past month, November and late October, and I don't think you can really say otherwise. It just has. Yeah. Guy, even guys like Jalen Duncan, a, a bona fide yeah. NFL prospect, are, are missing blocks and assignments. I think yeah. part of it also in the trenches, yes, it's the offensive line. The running backs in, in the block, pass blocking game have been brutal recently yeah. too. Uh, Roman hemby has been someone who's been praised for that, but Littleton blowing some blocks. Everyone's been blowing some blocks in, in tight ends and running backs-wise as well. Um, which, of course, adds to the problem. So I don't think Maryland has done enough offensively this pa- these past few weeks in the Big Ten, but yeah. I think it's a different story now than it was at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I agree. But I do think when you know when Loxley says he needs to take a bird's-eye view pers- look at this program and, and really, really evaluate what he's doing, what everyone's doing well, um, this is the biggest thing that they need to look at, and it comes down to recruiting. That's as simple as. Is it possible though? Which is another question. We it, we it, don't really know. We don't know. I mean, like we don't. I mean, when you build, like the best players at the position come to the best program. So when you're building a, a great program, you kind of you need to. But especially in the Big Ten, like when I keep saying that Maryland got bullied at Wisconsin, bullied at, at Penn State, I mean like in the trenches. I, I mean Maryland was Maryland's offensive and defensive line had no shot. They looked. They looked smaller. They looked inferior. They they looked like they didn't belong on the same field as the linemen for these other opponents. And that that's the the reality of the games of of winning in the Big Ten is you. And it's really just football in general. You know, you talk to anyone who knows and studies football and builds teams together. You win from the inside out. 100%. You need to win in the trenches. You need to if you're getting bullied in the trenches, you will never win a football game ever. It doesn't matter what level it is. I don't care if it's pee wee. <laughs> and they're yeah. tackling a peewee. You need to be able to, to win in the trenches. And Maryland has shown that, that they don't have um, the talent and the physicality in the trenches to compete with some of these great teams, especially when it's this time of year and it gets w- rainy and windy out there. Maybe there's some snow falling and you need to run the ball more. 
um, and teams will run against you more. That's what it's this time of year, build, building teams for November when your offensive line needs to be at its best. And Maryland has shown that their offensive line is not even on the same level as some of these top programs in the Big Ten. So when you look about closing that gap, that's the biggest gap for me. It's, it's, it's closing the gap of the physicality and the talent level of the line. Right, your skill players can only do so. Yeah, that's do, do so much. Saying, we like, could have we could have prime Jerry Rice and Calvin Johnson on the edge, and, and prime Joe Montana at quarterback. But if guys like me, you, and Emmett are in the trenches, then, yeah. then we're not going to be able to. Well, we're that, not well, be able to help yeah, anyone. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying because like Maryland has done a phenomenal job recruiting. Um, from the skill positions in recent years. That's what Loxies yeah. are known for. Wide receiver you, right? They have phenomenal wide receivers every single year. Talia's been, uh, he is a very talented, you could say what you want about him, but he's a very talented yes. quarterback still, especially at the college level. Maryland's safeties and, and, um, and cornerbacks over the years. You look at Jordan Mosley last year, Nick Cross, um, Ja'Korian Bennett-Torheeb still this year, Bo Breed. They're skill position guys. Yeah. He's phenomenal recruiting. But now you have to really take a look at why why am I not recruiting um, better in terms of the trenches and, and the inside out because they, they have the skill positions. They're, they've, they've proven they're great at that, but they need to build from the inside out. And the recruiting, that's where it happens. It's not going to happen with developmental stage. You know, that'll come. Yeah. You need to be recruiting the best players on each line of the football. 100%. And, and we could talk defensively here briefly as well. Starters have been changing a little bit. Uh, Tank Booker got to start a couple weeks ago. Tommy Akamusode has been starting the past couple weeks. Um Jarell Chami's actually had a good year. I think he's taken yeah. a, a step forward um, at that jack position. But defensive line and front seven in the trenches has been awfully disappointing. And I think it goes back to the that Blake Corum run at Michigan where he absolutely decimated the Terps multiple times. And that's kind of been a recurring problem all year. We saw it at Penn State. I mean, those two fourth and one plays where Nick Singleton just somehow, you know, got up the middle and, and ran for massive home run touchdowns are killer. And this team defensively in the trenches – Yes, at times they've gotten some pressure, and, and maybe they're only rushing three at times, which is indicative of, of Brian Williams' uh, play calling as defensive coordinator. But they haven't done a good enough job getting to the quarterback all season long. There have been games where they have, but it's really limiting the big plays in the trenches, which is, has hurt this team more than anything. Yeah, well, one more point before I go to defense about the, the offensive line is, yeah, they've been really bad. They, they've given up. They've got 12 sacks over the last two games. Obviously, it's some of that is Talia, like you said, but that's still unacceptable. But the thing is, they still have, like, they, they are talented this year. Yeah. So, like, that's why it's it's kind of a head-scratcher that they're not competing. And, yeah, they're, they're older guys, but, like, like you said, Jalen Duncan's an NFL prospect. He's going to go high, pretty high in the draft. Spencer Anderson is going to be an NFL player. They have talented NFL-level yeah. guys who have the physicality and bodies that are c- going to compete at the next level. And, yeah, Mason Lunsford's been out for two games, which is a pretty big loss. But that's why it's a little bit of a head-scratcher um, because because they have kind of the guys uh, where they shouldn't be playing as poorly and, and getting bullied the way they are. But let's – to your point about the defenses, yeah, that's the weakest part of this Maryland team. It's, it's the, the run, run defense. defense. It is so bad. abysmal. You watch any second of tape, the game plan coming in against Maryland is run the football down their throats because they don't have a single plan to stop it. Um, it doesn't matter what they do. They just simply don't have the physicality of the talent to compete with some of these great offensive lines that these programs have, like Penn State, like Wisconsin. And that's why they've gotten bullied on that side of the ball, too. Maryland gives up 148 rushing yards a game. It's the fifth worst in the Big Ten. Um, they simply just can't stop the run. You can say it's a fourth and one. You can say it's a, a first and ten. I mean, uh, Penn State averaged 5.8 yards per carry uh, against, uh, against Maryland last week, and Maryland averaged 1.6 yards per carry. That's simply 
line play. Yes. Like, you can say it's the running backs. Yes, Penn State is phenomenal running backs and better than Maryland's, but that's the line play. And that, that's Mer- Bins, Bins, excuse me. that has been Maryland's biggest problem this year. It's stopping the run. They have no answer for it. And that's, again, recruiting. Recruiting linemen on the defensive side of the football that, that are physical enough and talented enough um, where, where they have the capability to compete and, and put pressure on the opposing offensive line. Right, and that's been a worry for a long time with the Maryland fan base recruiting-wise. It's still going to be a worry until proven otherwise. He's proven he can recruit these linebackers, even though you know three of them transferred last year. But now you got Jay Sean Barham, who's really made a, a strong impact his freshman year. And you know you've gotten guys like like Van Darius Cowan from other schools, and and Caleb Wheatland, also a, a high tout, highly touted freshman at the linebacker position on the defensive line. Though the this there needs to be a real emphasis moving forward. And I'm I'm not sure even if there is an emphasis, I'm not sure we'll be able ever to see you know that gap closed. And that that's part of the gap, the whole gap in general. Yeah. And then the last thing we'll talk about um, is is Talia. Um, here's the question. Here's the take I'll present to you. Um, has Talia Tagovailoa done enough for this program to take the next step? Yeah, this is obviously a yes and no question yet again. I think, you know, this guy has so much talent and we've seen it. Um, I think you have to lean no at this point. Not that he's the main reason why this team is kind of going into a spiral now, but these last two weeks, yes, I get the conditions in Wisconsin were terrible and even at that game in Penn State, but he's been like really, really, really bad these these past two weeks. 77 yards against Wisconsin, which was a career low in the start, and now 74 against Penn State. He's only completed completed 21 combined passes in these last two weeks. So yeah, he's been the problem. He hasn't thrown a touchdown either. Um, it's not. I think the decision making for you know we saw it at Michigan. He, he made some poor decisions, but I think for the most part we've seen the decision making improve a little bit this year. I think that's something where you've seen him take a step forward. But I think the fact decision-making in terms of forcing passes. The decision-making in terms of holding onto the ball too long and not going through, mul- and going through multiple reads before firing one off and you know taking the sack instead of you know throwing the ball away, that is where he's taken. I think you know you said a step sideways before. Maybe a step back because we saw that Penn State, those seven sacks. Not all that was the offensive line's fault. He is not getting rid of the ball quick enough. He said his footwork's been a problem recently too, and he's looking to, to fix that. I don't think he's the reason solely that this team has gone in a bad direction because yes they're playing better teams evidently and yes other guys aren't stepping up either but it does start with him as the quarterback and and it's been really discouraging these last two weeks yeah look he uh he hasn't looked the same since he got back from injury he might still be um, hurt yeah that's that, yeah. that's another I mean, that's point definitely there. something that needs to be talked about because you know he missed the northwestern game they had the bye week it was an mcl sprain um, he doesn't look hurt out there necessarily, but he doesn't look near as confident. He doesn't look near as sure of himself. Um, he's like second guessing himself. That's what it looks like out there. Yeah. And he simply just doesn't look like the same player uh, since he's came back. Looks from timid, really yeah. timid. And, and to your point, they're playing way better defenses and way better teams. So that's part of it too. But you're right. He just hasn't looked like a, a good uh, quarterback. The, the quest to, to get to the question, it depends what you really define the next step. If it is what we've been talking about, it's closing the gap between them and the best programs in the Big Ten. It's it's competing against the best programs in the Big Ten and potentially knocking them off. Um, you know, he's really talented and he's accomplished a lot at Maryland. He will always be revered at Maryland, I think, even if the fan base isn't necessarily, his approval rating may not, may not be really high with the fan base right now. But I should have done this before this podcast and it really just popped into my mind as we were talking, so I didn't. But his splits 
against teams that have winning records at the end of the year yeah. versus teams that have losing records at the end of the year um, are, I don't have the numbers, but I can promise you that they are vastly different. Like, you couldn't even imagine these are two of the same quarterbacks. So it is, like, he's a good quarterback, but he's not a great quarterback at all. And he doesn't play well or even good enough against great teams. It's, it's not even the winning record thing. It's it's the big games where he's fell on his face, yeah. which has been... But, but the big games are against the better yes, teams. Yes. That's what it is. It's against the better teams. You know, he dominates. He puts up these 300, 350-yard-plus games, four or five touchdown games against teams that aren't good and finish with four or five wins on a season. But against teams that finish with seven or eight wins, the better competition... Um, he, he, he falls flat, and he's not always, like, bad. Like, I thought yeah. he was pretty good against Michigan. He Except had for one, those two bad decisions. Yeah. yeah, well, one of them wasn't an interception yeah. at all. That was just a The other one probably ball. wasn't either. But The other one, but maybe he, it wasn't, but it was but a terrible decision yeah. into double coverage. Um, but overall, I thought he played well against Michigan. So that was, like, an encouraging sign that Talia's playing better against a, a really good team. Obviously, now we've seen a, a phenomenal team, actually. But... Um, it's kind of revered back, uh, veered back the other way against some of these these teams later in the season. Yeah, and I want to get back into the wording of, of this question, the fact that, or the wording of the take that he's done enough for the program to take the next step. I think now he's he's going on his third year. I guess the COVID Wait, years. He's in his third year. Yeah, in his third year, going on finishing his third year. I mean, and the first year was kind of COVID year, didn't play the whole year, and it, it was kind of a messed up season. So let's let's just say, for example, two full seasons worth of starting games for all intents and purposes. Last year, he he's, he's flat, plain and simple, he's the best quarterback they've had since joining the Big Ten. C.J. Brown was good when they first got in the conference, but he's by far the most talented the guy yeah. they've had. I don't think that's debatable. He's been the guy for Loxley's culture in this program to take the step and be, into becoming a team that is definitely better than the bad teams. And the goal should middle be the bowl, bowl, middle of the pack because team, going to be bowl eligible every year. And you have to give him credit for that because yeah. he's, he's the guy that's led that. And that's the positive look at it. The negative part of it is I don't think he's done enough for this program to close the gap between Maryland and the Michigans, yeah. the Ohio States, and that's, the Wisconsins, and the Penn States. And that's really all that matters. And that's so a good way to put it. And that's exactly to my point is that he is a middle kind. It's the middle of the pack team that he's gotten this this program to be. And because he's kind of a middle of the pack quarterback, he dominates. He's probably on, on the upper level of that, but he dominates uh, bad teams and he struggles against good teams for the most yep. part. And, and that's that's pretty that's much it. It is what it is. And when you look at him uh, in terms of the future, I don't think there's any doubt he's 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 going to be back. I mean, the NFL isn't even a question for him at this point. So it's 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 stay in college. <laughs> that's the reality. It's I, I, I can't imagine transferring. Maryland. Yeah, it's stay in college in Maryland or transfer somewhere else. I don't know why he would transfer anywhere else. You know, to more of a big time program. I don't know if they would even more of a big time program would necessarily want him. Like his relationship with Loxley is really good. They're really close. I fully expect him at this point to be back in a Maryland uniform next year. But, of course, the transfer board of NIL, um, he could make a lot off NIL still. I don't know how much he's making exactly. I'm sure he's making some, but at a big-time program, he could probably make way more, especially being to yeah. his brother. Um so I don't know exactly. There's a lot. Transfer portal changes everything, but I do expect him to be back. And NIL changes everything, but I do expect him to be back um, with Maryland next season. I would think so, too, just given his relationship with Loxley, too. Loxley is very close with the Tugavella family and, and, you know, given the experience at Alabama with Tua and Talia and now at Maryland. So, yeah, the, those relationships go back a long way. I'd, I would be shocked if he somehow left for another school. 
But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the offseason talk yeah. when we get there. I, th- I think yeah. that's pretty I mean, much what, all I had to say about that take. I think I, I definitely enjoyed this segment because these are three, you know, yeah. major themes, and we could have done ten of these. But yeah. it's it's this is a lot where the conversations three been, overwhelming been things recently. with this program currently. Yeah, well, we're we're a segment podcast now. Who would have yeah. thought? Yeah, who would have thought? Um, all right. So I mean, that was we went really long. I don't even know when we started this thing, but we went really long on uh, Maryland. Maryland, kind of Maryland 40 football. Minutes. Maryland football outlook. As we should have then. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with Maryland football outlook and recapping a little bit of this Penn State game. We're not going to give a full preview of Ohio State. In a little bit, we will get into some Maryland basketball talks, so stay tuned for that. But we are uh, on the show, that is. But we will preview a little bit of the Ohio State game. Not very extensive. Um, Maryland is or Maryland is underdogs. Uh, Significant. 23rd, the Ohio State is 27.5 point favorites, the over-under is 63. Last time these two teams played, it was in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Ohio State won 66-17. to C.J. Stroud went off for over 400 yards passing, five touchdowns. He didn't even play most of the fourth quarter. It was an absolute domination uh, by Ohio State. This time, like I said, the line is 27.5, but it is in College Park. Uh, I'm not even going to ask you what do you expect. I'm going to say, is, is Maryland going to be able to win or more or less by 27 and a half. <laughs> yeah, so I was walking to practice yesterday in the rain to Jones Hill House. And as I was walking by the weight, uh, the weight room, which you can see through the glass windows on the big screen, they're replaying the game from Maryland, Ohio State last year where the Terps got crushed. So that means you expect I, I don't. I don't think that will work as motivation. I'm just going to start right there. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying that you Maryland's going to upset Ohio State. Nah, no, nah, nah, I don't think so. Although the last time Ohio State was in, in College Park was a, a crazy game with, with Terrell Pigram. That was before we were even in school, but I, I vividly remember watching that one. I don't know if you do, Sam. Went to OT, and, and the Terps had literally a two-point conversion to, to knock off Ohio State, and, and Pigram just missed a wide-open receiver. That one, sorry, Maryland fans, that one's definitely going to haunt Maryland fans for a, as long as the football program is is somewhat relevant here. Into this game, look, C.J. CJ Stroud, excuse me, the quarterback is the Heisman favorite for a reason. And he's got one of the best targets in the country to throw to in, in Marvin Harrison Jr. He's phenomenal. a guy that would go number. He'd be the number one receiver taken in the draft if he was eligible I mean, the, this year. Yeah, he will be next year. Next year. But the people, the, the way people talk about him, NFL guys. I mean, they, they say this guy he's could special. be one of the best NFL, best receivers in the NFL almost immediately. Right, and and Jackson Smith and Jigba, a guy who's probably was projected to go top ten this year as well. Um, he's kind of been hurt at that receiver position, but Ohio State, so much depth among these skill positions. They kind of, you know, they they lead the Big Ten and or close to the top of the Big Ten in pretty much every offensive category, this is going to be a, a nightmare for the Terps. And I think the only chance they have of staying close goes back to our talk about creativity with the offense. You're going to need to rip off some big plays or else it's going to be a really ugly night because your defense doesn't have any chance of stopping these guys. I, I, I truly believe that. Yeah, um, there's really not much else to say. C.J. Stroud is going to come in. He's going to explode for at least 350 yards. They're, the offense as a, as a whole may go off for 600 yards. They're going to contract they're going to do what every big 10 team or any smart team will do against maryland is control the clock and take long drives and and even though ohio state is an explosive big play offense the, the smart thing is to do is just run it down maryland's throats that's been the recipe and it's worked and i don't think that's going to stop um you know the question i'm looking at is just you know ohio state is a good defense but nothing phenomenal you know is uh 
can Maryland kind of get some spark going offensively? Like, can they score they 20 could. points? They could. Can they get a few touchdowns in there instead of being shut out? Can they put some good drives together and move, move the chains, establish the run, get an offensive line play back, maybe keep Talia upright, um, take some shots down the field, take some chances? You know, I, I just want to see, you know, I fully expect Ohio State to win by 30-plus. It's not going to be a competitive game at all. But I want to see Maryland put some good drives together and show some, some positive signs um, offensively. Yeah, and we're going to have our answers with this first drive. You know, you have all week to script these plays. You know what you're going up against. You know what you're going to need in this game. Um, so if Maryland can't get anything going on the first drive, it's going to be a really long night in my opinion. This stat from the Ohio State game notes is absolutely appalling, and, and you know, Maryland fans know this, but I'm going to read it out loud. The Buckeyes have scored 416 points in the seven previous games against Maryland. 52, 49, 62, 62, 52, 73, and 66 for an average of 59.4 points per game. Yeah, it's Maryland. That's a lot of they, points. They that's own Maryland. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it is. It, it's it's crazy. I mean, yeah, they're going to – it's not just it's not just on the field. I mean, they're going to come in here, and, and it's going to be a sea of red of all Ohio State. It's not supposed to be a very nice yeah. weather day, which, again, is is disadvantage for Maryland. But it's going to be a lot more Ohio State fans probably than Maryland. Uh, probably not a lot of enthusiasm around this program right now. Not going to get a good turnout. Um, it's going to be all Ohio, Ohio State. State fans. It's going to be all Ohio State all day. They're going. They've owned Maryland. And look, like you can talk about Penn State, um, Michigan, because they're. I think they're a little tier below Ohio State. This Ohio State team is perennially one of the best teams in the entire country this season. No, it's no different. They're one of the best teams in the entire country. And, you know, that's like, that's the pinnacle. You know, Maryland is like the gap between, we're, when I say the gap, when we say the gap, we're talking about between the, the top of the Big Ten, but that's like the Big Ten West, which is Wisconsin, some of the, usually Purdue. Um, Iowa. Yeah, Iowa. Year, but, but uh, yeah. But the, but then in the Big Ten East, it's, it's Penn State, it's Michigan, obviously Ohio State, but the gap for Ohio State is even bigger. You know, we really look at the Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State games. Um, Maryland's not even close to competing for a national title. So no one expects anything from this game. Yeah, and, and I guess we can, we can probably just get right into predictions. It's yeah, pretty you much you know, what I wanted to say there. But um, I think Ohio State might be held under that 59.4 point per game average against Maryland since joining the Big Ten. I'm not sure how uh, how far under that, that they will be held there. But I think, you know, a key to this game for me, at least from the Maryland perspective, you talk about nothing to lose, which is what Loxley said yesterday. This team has nothing to lose, given that they're going against the best team in the country he considers, and it's really not that crazy to say that. It's either them or Georgia. Um, going against that team and just the point where Maryland is now already clinching bowl eligibility, no one thinks they have any chance. Um, so let's let's see it. Let's really see that you have nothing to lose. Let's, let's see a... a an exotic game plan. Maybe you catch Ohio State off guard and a couple deep balls or some trick plays like we've been talking about. Defensively mix it up. Who knows? I, I think this is the week to go all out and really try some some new things because you're, you're going to be lost regardless. Um, taking picks against the spread here, I think Ohio State will end up covering the 27.5. I think Ohio State's going to win this one by five touchdowns. Um, I'm going to go – I think the over gets shattered, 63, by the way. I think Maryland's actually going to be able to score a few touchdowns here. I'm going to go Maryland 14 – Ohio State 49. Wow. 49. Uh, am I, yeah, 49 14. I, I have a very similar prediction. I yeah. almost had that exact one. I have Ohio State 52, um, Maryland 14. Yeah. That, I mean, that's about all there is to say about that one. By the way, I was wrong. That wouldn't shatter my over. That would literally be the total 49 plus 14. But yeah. <laughs> we're not, not, ma- not, we're not math, math majors. Not math guys. Um, all right. Yeah. So, so next week, we will, well, first, we're going to talk a little about Maryland basketball. But next week, obviously, 
We'll break down that Ohio State game and then preview the last game of the season, which is here. The season's moved by quick. Wild. It is um, flying by. In Ruck with Rutgers, that last game of the season. But let's talk a little about Maryland basketball. And we're not going to talk about it too long. And the reason why we're not going to talk about Maryland basketball too long is there's not really a lot to, to take away. Um, Maryland has played really bad teams so far, and Maryland mm-hmm. has done what they should have done. They've taken care of business, and they've looked good for the most part doing it. Um, they beat Niagara. They've won every game by 20-plus. They beat Ni- excuse me. They beat Niagara. They beat Western Carolina, and just last night they beat Binghamton, and they've really dominated these just na- bad non-conference team. But now the schedule is really going to heat up for Maryland. Yeah. So next week we're going to go full breakdown of where we see this Maryland team at. Um, but for, for right now, what what we've seen is just the new play style kind of. And Kevin Willard's. Um, his, his style of play is just very different than what Maryland fans have seen in the oh, past. Yeah. It's with a lot of pace, a lot of defensive intensity and energy that's that's leading to transition baskets. They want to push the ball. Uh, they're playing a lot of full-court presses, which, again, is leading to some turnovers and leading to transition points. Um, it's just a different style than, than what we've seen. It's way more fast-paced, way more energetic, really way more fun. Yeah, and... and- Someone brought this point out to me yesterday. Great point. Kind of in in these some of these games um, where Maryland has had better teams in the past under Turgeon and they've played kind of these weaker non-conference opponents, you've kind of seen them just go through the motions and, and maybe slip a little bit. We definitely saw it last year. Yeah. And even when Maryland was preseason number two in the country, they, they almost lost a rider at home because they were kind of just going through the motions and, and couldn't blow them out. I think what we're seeing now is a complete buy-in on the defensive end, yeah. at least from from you know the the eight to ten guys that are playing every night, and it's it's been impressive to say the least. These guys are playing hard. They're rebounding the ball. Uh, they're pushing the tempo, which is a major change from what we've seen uh, from Maryland in the past. They're pressing a lot more, which is a major change from what we've seen in Maryland in the past. It's not a complete one eighty, but I think it, it's pretty damn close to it. And and look, you can't take much away from playing the two hundred sixty third, the two hundred eighty first, and the two hundred fifty third ranked teams in the country, respectively, on Kempom. But I think just those overarching themes of the fact that, you know, you're seeing a lot of defensive intensity, you're seeing them push the tempo instead of walking the ball up the court, and you're seeing guys play hard um, for, you know, 35 out of 40 minutes. Yeah, I think... Um, it, it's it's a positive change, and it's, it's yeah, enjoyable to watch right definitely. now. Definitely, and we, you know, there was a lot of mystery around this uh, this this particular team. There's obviously Kevin Willard's first year, a lot, a lot some transfers, some blend of new guys, you know, no one really knew what to expect, but Willard was telling us all preseason that he is going to try to push the tempo, he's going to play with pace, he... This isn't like some big lineup that he has, so he wants to play fast and get out in transition. He was going to be pressing, and he's done all these things. We'll see how effective they are, and really we'll see where they where they stack up against good opponents uh, this weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's really not too much else to say. You know, Jameer Young has looked really good. I think he's been impressive yeah. as a playmaker. And he'll only get better. Ability. Yeah, um, he's a physical guard. He's good footwork. Um, I've, he's Good, good off the ball too as a cutter. I've really enjoyed watching Jameer Young play. Mm-hmm. Julian Reese has obviously looked way again against not great competition, not good bigs, but he's looked way more physical, way more dominant inside, engaged on both ends of the floor. He's limiting his foul trouble, I think, so he's gotten a little smarter in his second year. And Willard keeps saying he considers this his freshman year. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not Don Carey is someone who's who's supposedly a sharpshooter, shooting 14% from three, so he's really struggled. The team as a whole. That's the next thing. The team yeah. as a whole, if there's any worry so far, and Willard even told us last night, he's like, yeah, like I am a little worried, honestly. The team as a whole is shooting really poorly from three. Um, they were under 20% the first, the, the second game of the year and the last game. I think they were 20 or 22% from three. And, you know, Willard told us that he, he trusts these guys as shooters. You know, they're going to have the ultimate green light as mm-hmm. long as they're playing hard defensively. But 
um, he kind of said like these are rush threes that we're taking. I don't want to yeah. see these. I don't, I don't want to see these looks. I want to see us get in rhythm threes, or else we we should be attacking the basket. I you know we're kind of taking rush threes. So he said he was a little worried, but not too much. But that's really the only the only downside that we've seen in these first three games. Yeah, I think e- equally rushed as you know as they are equally settled as well. I think some of these guys are settling for threes. Additionally, um, but yeah, four for twenty last night. To think they started the season five of seven from three, and now they've gotten to this point, um, definitely worrisome. Hopefully, turn it around for them in in Mohegan Sun. But yeah, not much else to say three point wise other than we know the fact that Don Carey supposedly a good shooter. We know the fact and his that stroke looks good. So yeah, I it does. I think I think they'll fall. Um, no Bachelor supposedly a really good shooter. He was one for five last night. Maybe we'll see him start draining some. And then kind of an interesting point here. We can kind of transition here to the bench a little bit. Yeah, but that's Ike Cornish nice played thing. playing thirteen minutes last night. What did he have? Nine, nine, po- points, nine points. Nine points. Best high. game of his career yeah. by far. Um, one for two from three. We heard raving reviews of him as a shooter in practice last year um, when he was red shirting. So maybe he provides a spark too. Who knows? We didn't see him much the first two games, but last night getting extended burn and he, he looked comfortable out there. Yeah, I was going to go the rotation as a whole. Um, you know, Ian Martinez is clearly, like, obviously they have their starters, you know, they're set in stone. Their starters are going to have to play a lot of minutes, um, especially as the season goes yeah. on, because they don't really have a deep bench. But the, the, the rotation has been pretty clear that Ian Martinez is the sixth man. And, you know, he's looked he's looked solid so far this year. Yeah. You know, nothing special from him, but better decision maker um, than we've seen. He hasn't, has he made a three this season? No, I don't believe he has. He, he's 0 for 4 for 3 this season. But, you know... Nice drive to the cup last night. Yeah. You, you like the aggressiveness out of him. He's been a better decision maker, not not forcing shots like we mm-hmm. saw him do last year. And then we see Jahari Long um, get off the bench a lot. You know, he's kind of a, a defensive spark. Um, I've can, been impressed with his passing, though, too. Yeah. Like, he, offensively. He yeah, and he crashes the boards. Yep. Yeah, he's a physical player down there. And then Patrick Emelian, those have kind of been, like, the two, the three top guys off yep. the bench. Um, and that's probably what we expect to see. As, as the rotation kind of tightens up as they play better teams. No Bachelor, I don't know. He's not, he, he can shoot the ball, and, he, and you know, he looks pretty confident out there offensively. He's really struggling defensively. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see Willard getting him on getting on him for that, so I'm not sure he's going to really crack the rotation once it becomes like an eight-man rotation. And then Ike Corners is the mystery, and I'm excited to ask Willard about this tomorrow and hear his thoughts and really as the weekend goes yeah. on. But, you know, like, does that give him confidence that he has this performance? Does that give Willard confidence that he can really plug him in and play him? Like, I don't know if he trusts him defensively, but I would love to see Ike Cornish as, like, a ninth, maybe even sometimes an eighth man, um, even as a spark um, off the bench. So it'll be interesting. Right. Ike was a, a four-star talent. I think people are forgetting that just because he didn't play last year. And I think he was hurt at the beginning, which is why he wasn't playing. And then they just decided to end up redshirting him uh, with the coaching change and all that. But, yeah, impressed with what you saw from him last night. I mentioned I like Jahari Long. I think Patrick Emelian as that seventh or eighth guy off the bench, a backup big. It, it's got the lack of size is going to hurt when he gets to yeah. Big Ten play, but he's playing really good defense right now, protecting the rim, um, going up with with verticality. Um, only had four 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 boards last night, excuse me. But I think you have to like what you've seen from him in, in glimpses uh, this season. I think Willard said Patrick was the difference after that second win. Um, so you don't feel totally comfortable with with the bench yet, and I don't think. You will. I think we'll get some clarity this weekend and, and the games beyond that before uh, by the end of 2022 because um, it does take time. It's a completely new system, and we got to remember it's all these guys coming in, playing different systems, and they got to learn Kevin Willard's play- way of playing basketball. Yeah. The only guy who knows how to play it is Jahari Long, and yeah. 
he was hurt all last year. And so. The other concern is we talk about how they're an undersized team is the rebounding a little bit. We've seen yeah. that. We haven't seen it kill them in the first three games, but we have seen there's been stretches where they've struggled to control um, the glass and the, the other team has really abused them on the offensive glass, especially when they're in these presses and they go back zone. That's really the only time we've seen them play so too much 2-3 zone this year. It's when they're in this press and they drop back into a 2-3 zone. We even saw them go 1-3-1 a little bit. Otherwise, they're really playing man defense, but yeah. against against the zone, it's even more difficult to, to rebound and it's already an undersized team. So that's something to watch moving forward is, is the rebounding battle against better, bigger teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's not too much to take away from these first three games, but it just is exciting to finally yeah. get this, to see this team on the floor and just see everything materialize um, that everyone's been talking about all offseason and preseason. But let's get to their schedule yeah. real quick uh, moving forward. They're going to Mohegan Sun this weekend. They'll have St. Louis on Saturday, and then they'll have either really good team, Miami or Providence. This will be a phenomenal test for them this weekend. Just real quick, we'll talk about this weekend's games, but... Then they'll have Coppin State next Friday, and then they start Big Ten play with um, Illinois, Wisconsin, and then they have, if I'm remembering correctly, you already forgot about Louisville, man. They're they're I, I know they're is bad. Is Louisville before? Louisville's right before, but no, I'm, well, before I'm Illinois. With you. Louisville's right before Illinois, uh, a team yeah. that has been. Well, that looks God, like that God looks awful. like a much better, yeah. much more more favorable matchup yeah. for Maryland this this uh this year. But yeah, they have Louisville, then they have Illinois, Wisconsin, uh, UCLA. Or no, Tennessee and then UCLA? Tennessee and then UCLA. Tennessee, Tennessee and then UCLA. This is pretty good off the dome because I'm, I'm yeah. looking at the schedule right now. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. And then uh, St. Peter's and UMBC, two, two big tests yeah. before so, the, so uh, the before, new year. Yeah, but before those two games, it'll be a really tough stretch. And oh, it really yeah. is a completely tough stretch other than Coppin State. And even Louisville, Danny Manning's revenge game, it may be... Aiden McCool's revenge game, too. Yeah, exactly. The walk-on from last year Who for all those who didn't get that reference. Um, <laughs> uh it's going to be a tough stretch of games um, other than Coppin State, really. But that yeah. is Juan Dixon's return. A lot of a lot of storylines going on in, in these opponents. But first, let's just talk about this weekend. First, St. Louis and, and kind of how you see them stacking up against St. Louis. And then just what your overall predictions for Mogan Sun this weekend. Yes, yeah, St. Louis, guys, is a, is a really, really good team. Uh, Yuri Collins, one of the best point guards in the entire nation. Um, I think he's ninth in assist rate in the entire country. Um, they, they beat Memphis last night, who's Penny's got a good team over there. They beat him by six, kind of controlled that game, and then opened their season with two breezes of wins past Murray State and Evansville. I've had this game kind of circled on my uh, calendar all year. I think St. Louis is the best team in the Atlantic 10. Yuri Collins is going to be a problem at point guard, a big test for Jameer Young and Don Carey, that backcourt defensively. Uh, Javante Perkins, uh, he was, the I think, the A-10 preseason player of the year uh, last year, but was hurt and didn't end up playing. Uh, Gibson Jamerson can really shoot the rock for uh, at shooting guard, and then size. I think this is this is a game that really will tell us a lot about rebounding, but maybe not size because St. Uh, St. Louis's big man is also six nine. Francis Okur, same size as Julian Reese. So we'll we'll see there. I think a good matchup for Maryland, given that you know you're playing a really good team, but you're not playing a, a guy a team with a seven foot dominant big that's gonna really take you down in in your first. Um, real test of the year. So I, I think this team might match up pretty well with St. Louis. I think St. Louis is probably thinking the same thing, but a, a really talented team, a, a team with the 13th best offense in the country right now per Kempom. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a good game, though. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. For I it. think it's going to be a phenomenal game, and I'm really excited for it as well. I do think um, 
I, I completely agree with you. St. Louis is and should be the favorites to win the A-10. Um, I think they're the best team in that conference. It's going to be a very tough test. Maybe when this was originally scheduled, people wouldn't expect it to be as tough as the test yeah. is going to be. But this is going to be a, a hard game, well-matched uh -huh. teams. And I think it's going to be a really close game. I'm really excited to watch it. Um, if Maryland wins that game, they'll likely... I mean, it's hard. It's hard to predict these games, but I think Providence is the better team between Providence yeah. and Miami. So it's it would close. Be, it's close. It would, yeah. Obviously, that'll be a close game too. But it would be interesting if if Kevin Willard matched up against Providence again, his former Big East foe, which I'm sure he's very familiar with. Um, so so that would be an interesting matchup. I think you want to give a prediction real quick. Yeah, I th I think. Look, I think before the season, I, I was really worrisome of this. I, I do think they're going to lose to St. Louis. I think St. Louis is really good. I do think it's going to be a really close game. What do you think the spread will be? Because obviously, the right now, Ken Palm, Ken Palm predicts 73-72 St. Louis. It's going to be close to a pick on a neutral floor. I think Saint, the, they'll probably move in favor of St. Louis a little bit, maybe minus two. But I don't know. Maybe people will be siding with the big name in Maryland. I think Maryland's going to lose a close one to St. Louis. And I think regardless of who they play in the second game, I think they're going to bounce back. I think... This team's going to figure some things out in that first game. I think these first three games have helped them figure it out. The problem is they haven't really been tested by anyone going into Mohegan Sun. St. Louis has, having just played Memphis. Uh, but I think one and one, I think they'll, they'll fall to St. Louis and uh, they'll beat either Miami or Providence in that second game. I think we will learn a lot about this team. I think regardless yeah. of the record, it won't really be indicative on the rest of the season. But I, I think it, it'll be exciting. It, it's exciting to see them face some real comp and, and kind of have some real takeaways. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're going to do a lot more deep dive in Maryland yeah. basketball next week when we really have an understanding of this team because we are going to learn a lot yeah. about this team and all these question marks um, are going to come to fruition. I do think, I agree with you. I think St. Louis is, um, they're very evenly matched teams. I think St. Louis is a little more tested. Early in the year, you talk about the Memphis game. They had a close win against Memphis. That favors them. Maryland's really just played bad teams and played yep. and had blowout blowout wins. And if, they're, if Maryland's struggling to shoot the ball from three, they're not going to be able to compete with St. Louis. Um, so they're going to have to fix that and the rebounding issue, uh, which we talked about. I, I agree with you. I think St. Louis wins 70 to 66. I think it's a phenomenal game, wire to wire game. A lot of lead changes both ways. But I do think that Maryland is going to drop the first game. And then I think they'll likely be playing Miami, which I think they would be able to beat. Um, I mean, they have a good team, Isaiah Wong and, and uh, John Ruiz running the show over there with how much money everyone gets over there. Yeah. But <laughs> I, 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 got, I think Miami's going to be Providence. I think that's where we differ a little bit. But I, I think they're going to beat either. either yeah, of I, I agree with you. That I was going to say it's going to be a split. Um, and I think there's, it would be encouraging if Maryland got out of there with a split. Um, so I think they're going to lose to St. Louis 70-66, to and then they beat on Providence um, or Miami on that back-to-back -back on Sunday. If Maryland can somehow escape 2-0, a lot of heads, are, and then with a Coppin State and Louisville on the horizon with a potential yeah. uh, they're, they're, seven and zero start. If they go two and zero, I mean the narrative, or yeah. maybe they'd be on the cusp. The narrative would completely change if they go two. The, the, and people are going to start talking about this yeah. Maryland team as a tournament team, and it's way too early to even mention that yeah. because the three and zero against horrible teams. But you know this weekend is going to tell us a lot. So there's a lot of excitement around this weekend, and you know there's zero excitement for Maryland Ohio State football, which is going to be the same no. day on Saturday. It's a 3:30 kickoff. Maryland St. Louis is going to be a one o'clock kickoff. So if you only have time to watch one, I'd recommend watching the basketball game, um, and then obviously we'll have it all covered Sunday. though at, yes, at Testudo Times on Twitter and TestudoTimes.com. We'll have the game stories, the previews, the tweets, the highlights. Do you want to give a score prediction real quick? For that St. Louis game? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 70, 70, 70 to 66. 70 to 66. I'm going to go, 
Yeah, somewhere in that ballpark, I'll go seventy-one, sixty-seven. I think it's gonna be a four-point okay. loss. Um, I think. I think right. we're Wait, on... to just just differ with one yeah. by one point. By one point, we'll <laughs> so, so now, now, now we we will definitively know who's closer to the prediction of what actually happens. But uh, yes. yeah, I'm I'm, ex- I'm really excited for this tournament. Yeah, no, it should be great. Um, wish we were there. It's it's yeah. Connecticut's a little little too far of a drive yeah. for us from uh, from, yeah. from Maryland, but uh, yeah. Well, we'll, <laughs> I, we'll I wish I wish we were there as well. well we should be we should be there at Barclays later. Yes, later we will be on. at Barclays for Tennessee game. But all right, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Full pre, uh, full breakdown of Maryland Ohio State, full breakdown of Melvick and Sun tournament, and then a preview of Maryland Rutgers Maryland football's last game of the season. It is crossover season. There's a lot going on, but we appreciate you listening this whole time.